Hi there, and welcome to episode 72 of the T21 Mom podcast. My name is Mary, and I'll be your host. Each episode will talk about life, Down syndrome, mamahood, single parenting, and pretty much everything in between. I have a daughter named Ainsley, and she's nine years old and rocking an extra chromosome, also known as Down syndrome, and I'm living life my way. And as always, my good friend and co-host, Ron, is always here. He's also here with me today. Hey, Ron. Hey, Mary. Good to be in town this week. It's, yes. Uh, you know. <laughs> uh, and when we're recording this, it's the 21st of March. So it's, you know, World Down Syndrome Day. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. you know, we've, we've reshared the video that we shot last year, your yes. love letter to Ainsley, which is, is surprisingly to me, uh, an award-winning video now because we mm-hmm. did win uh, was it the BC Down Syndrome Society? Lower Mainland. Lower Mainland Down Syndrome Society uh, chose ours as as the best video in a competition. Yeah. So if you're interested in seeing that, you can find us. You know, if you're following Mary or T21 Mom on on Facebook, you can find it there, uh, or you can go to T21 Mom Podcast on YouTube and see it there. Awesome. So, and we have an international guest today, another international guest. Mm-hmm. We do. Dr. Gretchen Good. She is all the way in New Zealand and she's actually an American who went there for a contract and has been there for over 30 years now. So wow. that's a quite good contract. An extended, yeah. <laughs> quite an extended stay. And, uh, I think she has an interesting story about uh, her two children with Down syndrome and how she uh, adopted them, her and her husband, and, you know, just life in New Zealand and what that's like for them. Okay, let's go talk to uh, Dr. Good. Okay. Today on the T21 Mom podcast, we are going international. With me today is Dr. Gretchen Good, who is actually an American who has been living in New Zealand for over 30 years. Welcome, Gretchen. Hi, Mary. Thank you for inviting me today. Yes, you're more than welcome. I, I think you have like quite an interesting life story. And so I'm excited to hear about that. But can you start by telling us a little bit about you and your family? I'm sure um, I uh, grew up in the U.S. um, Mm -hmm. from Michigan, and um, I had a passion for working with uh, people with disabilities and rehabilitation. I myself lost my vision suddenly and totally at the age of 19, and uh, through that, I went through my own rehabilitation process. And uh, as a result, I eventually got a master's degree in blind rehabilitation, working with blind adults and children. And that is what brought me to New Zealand. I came for a short-term contract at the Royal New Zealand Foundation of the Blind. Uh, I was supposed to be here for 18 months, but that was 30 years ago. (laughs) That was quite an extended stay. Wow. So you came for an 18 month contract. And so what made you want to stay? I landed in Wellington Mm -hmm. for my job and I just loved it instantly. I loved uh, all sorts of things about New Zealand. Um, The 
beauty of the country, living in mountains and near the sea. And mm -hmm. I was on a dragon boat team where we, you know, raced on the uh, our dragon boats and competed on the in the ocean. Um, I loved, you know, the sand and the mountains and the hiking and the people were friendly. I just found myself feeling very much at home here in New Zealand. It was very simple way to live too. New Zealand, mm -hmm. um, and 30 years ago, like there was no cake mixes in the stores. I had to learn <laughs> to cook everything from scratch. Um, and I lived with New Zealanders and we had so much fun discussing differences in language and they taught me how to cook. And uh, I just landed on my feet here, loved my job, loved everything about New Zealand. And uh, it took some work to stay, but I eventually did get a permanent residence visa and then citizenship. Fantastic. And, you know, I, we were talking before we started, I have had the privilege to visit New Zealand and I absolutely mm -hmm. loved it. And for many of the same reasons that you described, I mean, I live in Vancouver where we are close to the ocean and the mountains, but I found New Zealand so beautiful and I loved the hiking there. I did the um, Mount, you know, I won't do it to justice the name Tong Tongariro from oh, yes. the Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was like seven or eight hour hike, but it was absolutely majestic and also, you know, I love to knit. And so you guys have fabulous yarn, but also you have amazing wine, which I love. <laughs> so you're married, like, so, but I believe your husband, he's also an American, isn't he? He is. Uh, he's a, a longtime friend, but I had been living in New Zealand for 15 years before I went back to do a sabbatical to do mm -hmm. some research and um, reconnected with my old friend and we had lunch and uh, we had lunch three times my last week I was visiting back in the US and eventually we visited back and forth and um, like 20 years after we met we got married and <sighs> I dragged him back here to New Zealand with me and uh, we're very happy to be here. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, I love that story. <laughs> now you have two children, uh, Leo and Tiffany, and they both have Down syndrome. And they both came to you and your husband through the beauty of adoption. Was that sort of your plan like to adopt or did you plan to adopt a child with Down syndrome? Or would you care to sort of elaborate a little uh, bit on that story? Sure. I would not say that was our plan. And we <laughs> still find ourselves surprised sometimes <laughs> at uh, where we are. Um, adoption was always close to my heart. When I was 12 years old, I wrote a, uh, a paper for a research paper for school about international adoption. Mm -hmm. And ever since then, I've been intrigued. Um, and I mean, that wasn't necessarily our plan, but we were rather old when we got married. I was 45 and I have some health conditions that would make um, pregnancy very difficult on me. And I was, I wanted to be a uh, mommy. I didn't necessarily uh, care how the children came to me. Mm -hmm. And we both had a heart for adoption. Uh, we 
didn't realize that adoption in New Zealand is very different than it is in the US, however. Oh, really? Um, you can't adopt older children here. Older children are only available for fostering here. <gasps> so really? It, yeah, we did know how old we were when we started the adoption process. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were sort of heartbroken to discover that you, you can't adopt older children in New Zealand, but you can adopt older children from overseas. Okay. So we had gone through all the adoption preparation processes, which took a, a little, a little over a year. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but you can't, we hadn't been married long enough to go into the international adoption process. Mm -hmm. um, so in the meantime, our profile that we put together for families to look at went into the general pool for adoption. There are, at that time, there were about 600 families hoping to adopt and very few adoptions. There were only five adoptions the year that we adopted Leo and I think 20 adoptions in the whole country the year wow. we adopted Tiffany. But we, much to our surprise, we got chosen by birth families. So I mean, your, your families, their, their birth families picked you? Yes, that's how adoption works here. And it's pretty much how it works in the US as mm -hmm. well and other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you put together a, a portfolio and the families look through it and they, they the birth families choose, the first families choose the adoptive families. And uh, much to our surprise and delight, we got chosen. We had said no to Down syndrome. That was on our, you know, we you're asked a thousand questions mm -hmm. when you're getting ready to adopt. And we did know that we were older parents and um, we did know about, you know, we. We had concerns about that, um, but when the birth families chose us, we said yes. Fantastic. Wow, that's very interesting to know that, because uh, I know here, like at least in BC and I'm sure across Canada and most likely in the States, there is such a need to adopt children who are older because most people want yes. babies so that's really surprising to hear and and almost a little heartbreaking that those children end up in in foster care uh, I know I don't know what it's like obviously in New Zealand but it's not, obviously not like here it's not really generally where you want your child to end up in foster care because yes. they often get moved around a lot and and just through my own work um, through 911, you know, we get these kids all the time, you know, going missing and, and it's really heartbreaking, you know, where these kids just don't seem to have a, have a chance. So, you know, and like you, and I'm sure many of my listeners know, I'm also an older parent. And I mean, I decided to do it on my own, which was pretty, pretty scary, but you know, I do worry a lot about this as, you know, I get older and Ainsley gets older that she doesn't have any siblings. And, you know, I worry a lot about her future. I mean, kind of comes and goes, you know, some days it's, it feels more pressing than others, but I did read that you had set up a board of trustees made up of close friends. And I found this really interesting. Can you talk a little bit about this and and what it is and sort of what it entailed, because I think for a lot of people, I, I mean, I read about this a lot in um, the older, you know, parents who are older, like ourselves, 
like, this is a huge concern is who's going to look after my child when I'm not here. Yes. Oh, Mary. Yeah. You, my heart is with you. It, it, it is what keeps me up at night. Yeah. Uh, how old I am and how old my children are and how young when I meet a 30 year old uh, person, adult with Down syndrome, sometimes they seem very young to me. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I think how old I will be when my children are 30. It, it does keep me up at night. Um, so we've done everything we can um, to try to alleviate our anxiety and ensure the children's future. And one thing is we've just set up a, a family trust mm -hmm. so that they won't have so much per personal assets that they wouldn't be allowed to have government housing or government assistance for education or support. So that's just, you know, a, a financial mm -hmm. um, move that, and it's not simple, boy, it's hard to keep up with what it means and mm -hmm. the laws change regularly. But in setting that up, we needed some trustees. And so we also decided to make those trustees uh, involved, you know, of course, consulted with them, but mm -hmm. would will hope that they will be involved with the children throughout their lives if something, you know, whether or not anything happens to us. Mm -hmm. um, some of them have um, accounting expertise, some of them have medical expertise. We have also appointed guardians if anything should happen to us. Now this does alleviate some of our anxiety and mm -hmm. ensures the children's future to some degree, but um, our friends are our age too, so that's a problem. Mm -hmm. We have to constantly be on the lookout for younger people to be involved in our children's lives and to recruit them onto that board of trustees uh, just to ensure our children's future and, you know, and safeguard them. And were these like people friends or are some of them... I guess, for lack of a better word, professionals, like you yeah. said, some have, okay. What, now or... they're all friends who happen to be professionals. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I guess professionals wasn't really the right answer or right um, question, but are some of them, have they been like caregivers of your kids over the years or anything like that? Um, the people who have agreed to be our children's guardians mm -hmm. are their godparents and long-term and babysitters okay <laughs> so we're just we're so with no relatives in this yeah. country with us we've had to create our own family and thank goodness we have we have those people in our in our lives the other people are just friends of the family mm -hmm. through church through the neighborhood you know who have become very good friends who we could ask if they wouldn't mind being uh trustees and then you know have a meet up regularly and i keep keep a letter of intent of what my children's interests are, what their likes and dislikes are, what they are like, their medications. Um, a long running letter that I lodge with my lawyer every year. And um, we send that to the trustees. So they are kept up to date with the children and what's going on. Um, it's one I, thing to, to be around the family a little bit, but to see it written in paper, it gives some mm -hmm. new and different information sometimes. I love that. I, I have never heard of that before. And I'm in a lot of different groups. I, you probably are as well. I'm not sure, but I, I really love that idea. And I, it's got the wheels turning in my head. You know, I do have things in place, but like, you know, my younger brother would become her guardian, you know, but 
he we're close in age, right? Kind of a similar situation. So, but I like that you've got various people involved to some degree and that you send a letter out every year, I think, and with their interest. And I think that is absolutely fantastic. And I think that is great advice to any parent, you know, who are in a similar circumstance, whether you're a single parent, which is what I was when I first got that in place, or you're an older parent like ourselves, or you don't have any other, like maybe uh, relatives kind of very similar to you. Cause there's lots of people. I, I have a friend who, who's an only child. I mean, her children don't have disabilities, but she's an only child and her husband's an only child. So they don't have any siblings and no, and no cousins. So, I mean, I don't think that's the norm necessarily for most people, but it can be. And, you know, and you're right, you have to have a plan in place and, you know, that, but they also need to know who your child is. And so that they, you know, so the transition can be as smooth as possible under which could be horrible circumstances. I mean, you hope that's not the case, but you know, I think we also have to be realist to some degree. <laughs> we want to live forever for our kids, but you know, I don't know if that's necessarily possible, <laughs> but I love that. That's, that's so awesome. And like about how old were your kids when you sort of thought I need to kind of get this in place? Probably um, five and eight. Mm, okay. Yeah. When they're still young. So when yeah. I started feeling really old. Yeah, <laughs> I hear you. I, I, I have my days like that too. <laughs> and I also thought it was very interesting that like, and I'm in a lot of different kind of groups and I, I see this from time to time, uh, about people wanting to get like a service dog for their child, because is it, is it Leo that has a, a service dog? And, uh, I, I actually remember reading, it was a number of years ago and it was actually another mom in New Zealand who was wanting to get one for her daughter who has Down syndrome because her daughter uh, was a runner, but the school wouldn't allow the the service dog because somebody has to be responsible for the dog. And so I was wondering how uh, this worked uh, for you guys and for Leo, because I thought it was very interesting because, you know, he's, he's still young and, but he has, he's had, how long has he had the service dog for? Well, Kaz is our beloved service dog and she's a black lab mixed <laughs> with a retriever and she is nine years old now oh, she wow. is getting older mm -hmm. she has about two more years of working before we will um have her retire mm -hmm. but uh Kaz has been trained for myself and Leo and Tiffany Oh, wonderful. So it's really unusual and it's a debatable topic as well. Many people say <laughs> a service dog should only be for one person, mm -hmm. but Kaz has certainly proved to be worth her weight in gold mm -hmm. for the whole family. That's wonderful. And the children were, let's see, um, we've had her for, I think, seven years. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, Leo was... Um, uh, let's see, eight and Tiffany was five when, um, when Kaz came to us. Mm -hmm. Um, no, Leah was six and Tiffany was 
about three. Yes. <laughs> I know uh, the years kind of, they all kind of yes. blur after a while, right? <laughs> and, and it took a long time. We were on the waiting list for three years. Wow. So we apply, actually, we applied for CAS before Tiffany was in our lives, mm -hmm. before there was a Tiffany. Um, we, we applied for a service dog. Um, there are very few service dogs in this country and there is no self-training. Uh, if a dog is a, going to have public access, it needs to be trained through an official agency, mm -hmm. which means she came to us beautifully trained, trained specifically to our needs, but we also had to raise $20,000 for her. Wow. Yeah. So uh, yeah, along with Kaz came our obligation to uh, pay it forward. So we mm -hmm. didn't have to pay in advance, but once Kaz came to us, we had to start fundraising to pay for the next family's so mm -hmm. assist disability assistance dog is the term we use here. Now, Kaz is trained primarily, her initial job was to help us so one parent could take two children somewhere mm -hmm. like to speech therapy or to a hospital or just out and about in the community and because that was really difficult once they were too big to be in a pram or a mm -hmm. stroller mm -hmm. and they wanted to walk independently and so Kaz has a special coat and leads design so I hold or you know the adult handler holds the main lead and each child has a lead that they can hold on to mm, that's okay. attached to the dog's coat if necessary we can clip that lead onto a child's belt loop so that the mm -hmm. child can be tethered to the dog we don't do so much of that anymore but frankly i still do if i'm with tiffany in a car park or in a, a mm -hmm. parking lot is she because is she a runner Tiffany is a runner. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Tiffany is a runner. Yes. Oh gosh. And yeah. I still couldn't take her to hospital appointments. Uh, we would lose her upstairs, uh, into elevators, down corridors, out into car parks. So, um, Kaz still accompanies us to hospital appointments, mm -hmm. um, or if, if I take Tiffany shopping anywhere or, or anything, it's, and she's very happy to walk along with Kaz. Um, Leo is 13 now, and he is learning to independently handle Kaz. He is now responsible for feeding her. And when we're all out together, he holds the lead and walks mm -hmm. her quite responsibly. Oh, that's Ta fantastic. Leo is also significantly vision impaired, and, mm -hmm. and I am too. So Kaz can do leading for both mm -hmm. Leo and myself. Uh, Kaz, Tiffany has seizures. Mm -hmm. Kaz can alert us if Tiffany has had a seizure in the night. Wow. Um, Kaz wakes me up if any of the children are up and about at night. So she's, like I said, worth her weight in gold. That's amazing. And so does she go to school with oh, them at all or no? That, that's a good question. She doesn't. Um, she has on occasion, if, if, but only if my husband or I are there to be the handler. Uh, an adult needs to be a handler of the dog. Mm -hmm. Leo has just started high school and his, Leo's teacher is willing to become the handler okay. so that the dog could go to school for Leo. But the dog isn't really necessary at school. Sometimes it'll help Leo if there's a, an assembly. Mm -hmm. He doesn't like to go into crowded, <laughs> loud, noisy rooms. And he has happily gone in if, if we bring Kaz along with him and um so that you know that could be useful in 
in the future, especially mm -hmm. if the teacher is willing to be the handler. Oh, wow. That's really fantastic. So, and you just mentioned that Leo's in high school. So how has that been looking for you guys with everything that's been going on in the world? Like, is he back at school or like, are you guys doing online? Like what's going on and how I'm wondering, curious how it's different than here. Well, New Zealand, you may know, cause we made world headlines, managed COVID really well initially. Mm -hmm. In 2020, we locked down seriously. We weren't allowed to get in our cars. We weren't allowed to go anywhere. Everything was shut down. There was no takeaway foods. There was no wow. coffee. There was no pizza. Uh, we had se seven weeks, which is a brief time compared to what's happened in mm -hmm. lots of other places, but it was severe lockdown. And we eliminated COVID. Much of 2020, we lived normally after that seven-week lockdown. Um, and there was something about that. I, I wouldn't want to repeat it. Um, and it was difficult. But there was something about it where our motto was, be kind. We're all in this together. Mm -hmm. And we eliminated COVID. And then in 2021, we did it again for three weeks. And that it worked. It seemed to work, and we all pulled together and worked together. Mm -hmm. There were challenges of having the kids home because the schools, we, nobody had ever been in that situation mm -hmm. before. This, the online learning did not work for my children. Mm -hmm. um, what the Ministry of Education sent to us was not adapted to their needs. Mm -hmm. There was even televised schooling for New Zealand children, which is great, but it wow. did not work for my children. So I spend every night creating learning materials and trying to teach them. And I work full time and so does my husband. Oh it my was difficult, but it was only seven weeks. <laughs> and in 2021, it was only three weeks. However, we are just one week. This is, this is our second week of Omicron is raging in New Zealand right now. And our family has decided to keep our children home to try to keep them safe. Mm -hmm. And this is a Down syndrome issue if you ask me, and we are on our own because the schools are not providing any, I, once again, we're not getting any learning materials from the schools because they're teaching classrooms full of children right now. Mm -hmm. um, so again, I'm creating learning materials every evening, <sighs> trying to teach my children and supervise them while working full time. It's a Down syndrome issue because my children are immunocompromised mm -hmm. because of Down syndrome. I feel they have low muscle tone and I know one of my children can't cough with enough gusto to clear his lungs. Mm. I would, and, and he's got a history of pneumonia. Oh, and yeah. I, I, I do feel like my children are at risk. Of and, course. Yes. And my husband has respiratory issues. I have health issues that would put me at risk. We cannot risk having any family member go to hospital. I would not want to send a child alone to a hospital, mm -hmm. which is a likely scenario. If two of our family members got sick and one child was so sick, they had to go to a hospital, they'd have to go alone, as Ugh. has happened overseas. And that's unbearable to me. Of course. Yeah. I. Oh, my gosh. And uh, like New Zealand is a small country. Like, do you have much of a Down syndrome community there? We have a wonderful Down syndrome community. Yep. We have um, regional and national. It's 
uh, and the Down syndrome community does a lot to support us and a lot of advocacy, but we're not making any headway in uh, getting our children with Down syndrome vaccinated. Um, nobody under the age of 18 can get the booster here. Okay. Or a third primary dose, which is what I would really like for mm -hmm. my 13 year old to keep him safe. And um, the children's five to 11 just got rolled out Mm -hmm. And it hasn't been eight weeks since been, it's been rolled out. So five to 11-year-olds are not fully vaccinated yet. I had to push and push and push mm -hmm. to get Tiffany hers a bit early. Uh, five weeks after her first vax, we got her second one. Uh, oh, eight, weeks is, eight weeks is ideal. Mm -hmm. And you generally can't get it sooner than eight weeks. But we saw Omicron coming and, and got her vaccinated. Good. I'm, I'm so glad to hear that. And uh, like we all had Omicron in January and Ainsley hadn't been vaccinated yet. I'd been, but she, cause she'd been kind of ill a little bit. So I was waiting and, and of course she gets it. And then, you know, there's been two schools of thoughts. Like, uh, one doctor said I would wait because now you have some immunity, like wait at least three months before. Cause like I, myself and Dennis, we, we're vaccinated, but don't have the booster yet. And we were about to get the booster. And then of course we all got, uh, COVID and, you know, said to wait because you, st you currently have immunity and then wait three months. So, which is coming up soon. So, you know, and I, I do want to get her vaccinated mm -hmm. and, and, you know, and I know you said that you have a very high vaccination rate in New Zealand mm -hmm. at 96%, which is incredible. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And in BC, we also have not quite that high. I think we're around 92% and I don't know what it is nationally, but you know, I want to make sure that Ainsley can be like yourself as protected as much as possible. She doesn't have the same respiratory issues that your son has, um, but it's still scary for our kids because they are to some degree all immunocompromised just because they have the small nasal passages and, and just all the things that go along with it. Many children have heart issues. I mean, Ainsley doesn't, but it's all those things. And like parents of typical kids don't think, don't have those additional concerns. We all have the concerns yeah. about it, about COVID, but not those additional ones, which is more scary. And then in your case, like, yes, that is, I can totally understand why you all want to, you don't want to be home, but I understand your need for having to have everyone at home. Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. Like things have really lifted here, which is exciting, but at the same time, it's a little still, it's a little scary. Like my aunt, she, I haven't seen her for quite a while. We didn't see her at Christmas because she chose to stay at home, which is fine, even though we were permitted, but you know, because she, of her other health issues, you know, we haven't seen her and it's hard, you know, and, and I'm sure you guys are experiencing the same thing, you know, just the four of you at home. I can't, I can't even imagine the 10 days I had with Ainsley. I said, get me out of here. <laughs> you know? Yes. Yes. And sadly, um, I've lost both my mother and my father in the last mm. few months and oh. a dear auntie and I can't, our borders were closed, so I couldn't travel uh, <sighs> home for the funerals. Um, our borders have now opened, but I find that 
scary because that's mm -hmm. bringing in new strains mm -hmm. of COVID. And I do have to go back and correct something. Our, our vaccination rate was as high as 94, 96%. But since they've just started vaccinating children, that has dropped to about 80%. Um, okay. Now they're including the five to 11 yeah. year olds. So we're about 80% fully vaccinated. That's still pretty good. It is still pretty good. That is still uh, pretty good. Yeah. Now I know you've talked a little bit about like down in New Zealand about parenting in this pandemic. And I know you were saying that Omicron is really raging through New Zealand right now. What can you tell parents out there? Like a lot of us were kind of sort of seeing a light at the end of the tunnel. I'm not a hundred percent convinced, but like, I feel like I have a bit more freedom now, but what are some tips or suggestions maybe that you might have for us to, I mean, this has been hard. I, I, yeah. you know, I, I know no one will disagree with me, but it's so much harder when you have kids with some extra needs, like way harder. And I'm wondering if you can, if you have any suggestions for us on parenting in a pandemic. Well, my first suggestion is to don't underestimate the importance of other parents and honestly talking to other mothers and other parents is, has been my lifeline. Mm -hmm. and honestly, I go to parents before I go to doctors um, for mm -hmm. information. <laughs> I have so much respect for the experience that other mothers and fathers have. And I, you know, people laugh at me for how much I'm involved in Facebook, but <laughs> this is, uh, other parents are an amazing source. And also, you know, the these have become my friends in the community is other parents of disabled mm -hmm. children. Such an important support for us. And, you know, you guys get it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so. I, I just think that's so important to uh, find your supports and that's a good place to look. Mm -hmm. I want other people to know, you know, we're not reading stories about other people like us. Mm -hmm. We didn't in 2020, we didn't in 2021 and I'm not hearing from other families in our situation right now. I have reached out and I have located three other families who are locking down like us in the country, but wow. it feels very lonely. Mm -hmm. It feels very lonely. Uh, other people uh, are sending their children to school and you know, many people are doing okay, but there is COVID in the schools and mm -hmm. it, it's hard to make these decisions. Um, and I don't know how to make these decisions. And that is when I do talk to other families and they tell me what numbers they're looking at, what they view as a calculated risk. And it has to be done individually, I know. Mm -hmm. um, but it's there's no guidelines for this. No, because as uh, I remember talking to Dr. Susan Fawcett about something and she goes, well, it's all our, it's everyone's first pandemic, right? <laughs> yeah, and... Uh, yeah, and I, I totally can appreciate what you're saying about the isolation because I have so felt it. I mean, but as a first responder, I was still going to work. So I still had that, I guess, community at work. Uh, unlike a lot of people like yourself, you're working from home. And, but for my kid, like for Ainsley, it's it's been hard. We we haven't had our Down Center play group for two years now. Yep. You know, I don't really see any other parents, but you're right. Like 
I go to the other parents for advice because mm -hmm. we all get our kids, whereas the doctors, they might have medical expertise, but they don't necessarily really understand a lot about Down syndrome. I feel other parents are going to have more knowledge. I mean, obviously you go to your doctor for medical things, mm -hmm. obviously, but you're right. The first go-to I often is to go to other parents because they've been through it. They know yeah. what I'm dealing with. And, you know, somebody somewhere, because thank goodness for social media, someone somewhere will be able to offer some support or some good advice. And yeah, three other families in your whole country. That's... Well, those are friends that I've been able to track down. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking they might have be uh, feeling as as concerned as, as us. Um, but and other it, people are making other decisions for very good reasons too. So it's, yeah. try, you know, trying not to be judgmental, um, trying not to second guess myself too much and mm -hmm. just looking, looking for support. The other bit of advice is be loud. I, I'm discovering that there's <laughs> issues, you know, the issues of vaccination and testing. We need an alternative to the invasive nasal swabs. My children will not tolerate that. Mm -hmm. And we will need to know at some point if we ever get COVID, they're going to need to produce a negative test to return to school. Mm -hmm. And I have contacted our prime minister, our, our members of parliament, the ministry of health, the public health organization, and I, you know, eventually get to the right people and they're always surprised they haven't thought about these issues at all. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes they listen. So I've got people trying to find the lollipop test, which I know is available in Australia. Is it available to I've you guys? I have not heard of it. What is it? It's a non-invasive COVID test where you, it's a sponge on a lollipop stick that you suck on for 20 seconds, and then you can test it for COVID. Wow. Um, the only thing we have here, it was the gargle test that they were giving to children who were, you know, because it, Ainsley's had to do the nasal thing and it's not fun. Like, you know, it takes three of us, I'm holding her and two doctors. It's not fun. And it was actually, um, invented for lack of a better word here in in bc i think at children's hospital and so and i i did it uh the gargle test very easy you know you just but i don't like ainsley wouldn't be able to do it because she doesn't know how to gargle but the lollipop test that like that for most kids would be feasible and and i would think for a lot of kids with with special needs or for different needs you know Wow, I hadn't heard of that. I'm going to have to look that up because. Well, don't get your hopes up too high because well. I can't source them anywhere. <laughs> I, have, I haven't found them on Amazon. Um, <laughs> I, I have found them in Australia, but you have to be a business to purchase them. So mm -hmm. I'm trying to get our Down Syndrome Association mm -hmm. or uh, uh, parents of vision impaired group to purchase them. But I have also, I've, I've asked, like I said, you know, the public health organization, the, the Ministry of Health, the Ministry of Education. Um, I've asked Jacinda Ardern, our prime minister. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to be noisy because this is my kids' mm -hmm. lives that we're talking about. No, exactly. Because if they don't hear from you, they don't think it's important or that it matters. 
That's what I've learned is yes, you, and I know for a lot of people, it's uncomfortable. I, I, I am not uncomfortable speaking up Mm -hmm. and, but I know for lots of people, that's a challenge, but you know, when it's your kid, you have to, you have to advocate advocating it's endless and it's tiring. And, but I mean, all the power to you, you're, you're Mm -hmm. talking to like those people high up who are making those decisions and that's awesome. And we can all take a a note from that because, you know, you, sometimes you just have to go to the top because you're not going to get anywhere, you know, with other people. So kudos to you. That's well done. I don't know if I'm going to get anywhere, but, um, I have had people listen and, and I feel better for trying my best. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Yeah. I, that that's awesome because, you know, and I'm, and I'm sure like in New Zealand, just being a small country, you don't have a huge Down syndrome population. So, you know, so you have to be even more vocal, you know, to be heard because yeah, if they don't hear from you, they don't, they don't think it matters. So I don't think it's that they don't care. It's just, if they don't know about it, then it, it doesn't affect them. So you have to make people aware of your needs and, yeah, I totally hear you. So good for you. And I think that's, uh, we can all take that to note, like, you know, just yeah. and keep this going makes, I mean, this makes down syndrome. COVID is a down syndrome issue for, for so many of these reasons, the testing, mm-hmm. the vaccinations, mm-hmm. the isolating, which is so much more challenging, the homeschooling, which is oh. so much more challenging when nobody can adapt learning materials, but us parents, mm-hmm. um, and mask wearing, uh, yeah. I don't know about you, but really a challenge for our family. And that's just one area that another reason we're keeping the kids home. Um, I've got one child that can wear a mask pretty well. The other child can't. And they're both surrounded by other children who can't tolerate masks. Mm-hmm. And it just makes it that much less safe for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Ainsley, it's got a lot of sort of sensory issues, like, like she won't wear a hat. I mean, she wears her glasses, but she won't wear a hat. And I've tried the mask. I mean, to be honest, I haven't tried overly hard because I knew it was going to be an uphill battle. So she doesn't wear a mask. And but all her peers at school are wearing masks that I've seen. So which is good. But, you know, I would prefer if she were to wear a mask, because I think it would be better for her. And that might be why, because I'm sure that's how we all got COVID was through her. I'm sure, I'm sure of it because she was the one that was sick first. So yeah, I, I, I hear from you because there's like those sensory issues. And again, people don't realize those other challenges that we're all facing, right? (laughs) Yeah. My poor Tiffany with so many sensory needs, she's supposed to wear glasses hearing aid and now a mask and she just doesn't tolerate any of it and that's that's when talking to other parents has been so helpful to hear like what you just said mary that you know sometimes it's okay to accept this isn't going to happen for this child Mm -hmm. and um you know it was it took another parent telling me yeah i know my kid's not going to tolerate a nasal swab to get us to stop trying we were traumatizing him Mm -hmm. and you know yeah it's nice to hear other parents acknowledge it look, it's not going to happen. And so we're going to work with that. Yeah. Cause I remember the second time I had to get Ainsley tested, 
and I can't remember what the reason was, but anyways, the second time, and it was the same doctor who was lovely, but it was just me holding her and him. I go, uh, like, are you, we need another doctor, but he tried twice. I go, it's not going to happen because I'm holding her, but someone's got to hold her head. But I think part of the reason was because at that time it was still early in the pandemic. The third doctor had to completely suit up, you know, but that was the only way we could get the test was yeah. by the th a third doctor. And, you know, yeah, it's all these challenges. This is what's making it so hard for our kids. You know, the isolation has been so difficult. I have not um, liked it at all. I mean, nobody wants to be isolated, but, you know, I feel bad for my daughter, you know, like she's okay being by herself, but I don't want her to be by herself. I want her to be with other kids and, and to be playing and, you know, having some, some play dates and things like that. And it's just not happening. So like, do you have like any kind of suggestions or I guess advice on how do we move forward through this? I mean, you guys are in the throes of it right now. A lot of us here are kind of moving out of things, kind of getting back to normal, but a lot of people are, are living like you are right now, like here in Canada and in the States. But do you have any suggestions? Well, it's hard because, you know, it's never the children that are the problem. Our, you know, our children are our joys. They're mm -hmm. not the issue. I even like homeschooling them. Um, it's just hard when I'm teaching. It's just we want we just need to change the rest of the world around us. Yeah. I want people to return to being kind to each other. And to we've got people opposing the mask mandates mm -hmm. and opposing the vaccine mandates. And um, we just need to change the rest of the world to remember that, you know, if it's just gonna, going to impact on the immunocompromised, well, that is your only is our everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm protect my child you refusing to wear a mask could in reality kill my child mm -hmm. and as dramatic as that sounds i do think there is there is reality in that um so we need to get the word out even the kindest and most compassionate people not might not think all of this through our friends don't really understand why we're locking down until i remind them remember i sat at my child's bedside when he the hospital you know he, he was very near death with pneumonia um i don't want to do that again mm -hmm. and i have to remind people that that happened and remind people that you know my child has a very capable child with down syndrome he's involved in everything but he can't cough well enough to clear his lungs because mm -hmm. he has low muscle tone yeah and People don't know that. So we need, I just need to keep telling people. Um, we need to tell, you know, the schools, our employers, the first responders, mm -hmm. um, they need to understand more about disability, understand our, our children's needs, our family's needs. The Ministry of Ed needs to know we need adapted learning materials. Mm -hmm. uh, we our children have overnight we have lost a team of supporters mm -hmm. our children get a lot of one-on-one -on -one attention at school through speech therapy through writing for the disabled through special olympics overnight we've lost all of that one-on-one -on -one support and we are doing it all and we can't keep this up we mm -hmm. need support of some kind 
So we just need to keep telling people, educating them, let them know. Mm -hmm. And also to have some empathy, I think for others, you know, it's not all, it's not all about you. Like you said, like, you know, it's my everything. And that is so true. So yes, we all are, public our provincial health officer she would always say uh stay calm stay safe or be kind stay calm be safe i can't even remember it now but like she always had that how you know and it worked in the beginning but yeah as two years in it's been it's been a real challenge but i think we can all extend empathy to people you know like especially you know families like yourselves i'm not as impacted like you are and, but I, I totally feel for you and I can totally understand your reasonings because they're completely legitimate, but most people who are not in the special needs community don't understand that. So, and I'd like to remind people that our children are sacrificing too. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it was difficult to get our children vaccinated and get them to wear masks. They are doing that for you. They're doing that for our community. Can you do the same for them? I love that. Yes. Can you do the same for them? That's fantastic. Gretchen, thank you so much for, for sharing your story and your, your advice and your wisdom on how like we can parent in this crazy pandemic that we've all been going through. You know, it's been a real pleasure talking to you and I was very surprised that you still have an American accent after living in New Zealand for 30 years. (laughs) Oh, I wish I could do my vowels correctly here, but I can't. Can't do a Kiwi accent, not to save my life. And Mary, thank you, because like I said, it's other mothers, other parents who understand and can support us, and you're creating that for us. So thank you. Oh, thank you. You're very welcome. I, This is a real labor of love, and I, I love doing it. And it's it's really been a real honor being able to talk to people like yourself and others from all over and sharing their stories because we all need that uh, community and we can all really learn from one another, especially during this really trying time. Thanks, Gretchen. Thank you, Mary. So Mary, just an another amazing story. I know, I really love hearing other people's stories and, you know, I think, many of us come to this journey of uh, Down syndrome in so many different ways. And it's so interesting to hear other people, how they've become involved in our community and how they got here. And I think, you know, she's got an interesting story on how that all happened to her and, you know, and just the life that they're living down in New Zealand. It's a great mom story. It's a great uh, family story. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, hearing these stories is always great for me because, you know, I know your story mm-hmm. and, uh, hearing these other stories helps me realize just what parents go through and what the kids go through. And, and for somebody like me, who's not in the community itself, mm-hmm. it's enlightening to me to see, to see and hear these stories. Yeah. And you know, and I was really, you know, I, it was difficult to hear like the challenges that they're still dealing with with you know covid going through there and how that presents to their family because i hadn't really ever thought of it that way that how it impacts all of them if one person were to get ill so you know my heart goes out to them because that is such a challenge and also what i wanted to mention is like she talked about how she had lost her sight 
at a young age. She actually has regained her sight. Uh, I think she had, she had multiple surgeries. I think it was over 20, if I'm not mistaken, but you know, just all of those things, you know, that she's had to deal with and, you know, and also they're dealing with children, two children with, you know, some different needs. So, you know, and just, and how they came to adopt their two kids with Down syndrome, I thought it was a really interesting and a, such a heartwarming story. Well, her plea about masks, I mean, that was, that was another thing about how this isn't just for me, it's also about you, mm-hmm. you know, and how mm-hmm. you can prevent the spread to my children who, one of whom, you know, is very susceptible to pneumonia and and other health challenges and and i thought that was that's what this is really about this is a very human story in that wearing the mask is not about you it's about others yes and i think we still have to remember that i mean our mandates have mostly been lifted but i still wear my mask i still want like when i'm in a store or something i still wear Mm -hmm. my mask and you know i've seen majority of people doing the same so well i don't want to get sick I and don't I don't either. want to make other people sick because I mean I'm <laughs> I'm double vaxxed with a booster so and you brought that up you know that that you you know you're still waiting on your booster because mm-hmm. of you know your your COVID experience but I think it's important to realize this thing isn't over and that no. we still need to work on preventing the spread for other people I have a lot of elderly friends and I don't want to give it to them because yes. I like them <laughs> <laughs> I don't want them to suffer I know I hear you and I mean I think we're just trying to find a way that we're living with it right now so right and yeah so it's still posing its challenges but uh yeah it was hard to hear that they're you know dealing with it you know whereas new zealand had initially just crushed it you know they were leading they did the a world, brilliant job you know like, and, and, and their prime minister was a brilliant role model for that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so and that they're dealing with those challenges and you know we're two years in it's a long time yeah yeah. And, and, you know, like I said, I'm just going to keep wearing my mask just, just because. Yes, me too. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, when, when you're in a grocery store, you're sometimes in close contact with people. I, mean, I don't ride the bus. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, when I'm in a grocery store or some enclosed environment, I will wear my mask. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, me too. Definitely. Thanks again for getting a hold of Gretchen Good because Dr. Gretchen Good, because that was quite a, that was a, a, a great story. So. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, she contacted me actually quite some time ago. And, and then just with everything that went on with last year, I I contacted her back and I said, Hey, it's been a while, but I would love to chat with you. All right. So let's uh, move along. All right. Thanks for listening to the T21 Mom podcast. And as always, I would love to hear from you. Tell me your stories, what's going on in your life, what's important to you. You can email me at info at t21mom.com or find me on Facebook. I'm also on Instagram and Twitter at trisomy21mama. And it would also mean a lot if you would subscribe and leave a review so we can become more searchable for others in the Down syndrome community. Keep on loving on your rocking kiddos and we will see you next time. See you, Mary. Bye, Ron. Bye.